Hey there, it's Kathy. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to History of the 90s early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Hey there, it's Kathy. I'm taking a short break, but I wanted to share something that I think you will like. This is Avonlea, a fictional Prince Edward Island town that likes its drama with plenty of zip and enthusiasm. At the center of it all is one large family who doesn't always get along, but they do care a great deal for one another. In this episode of Canadian History X, host Craig Baird shares the story of the 90s TV show Road to Avonlea. It captured the magic of how this little town and its citizens grew up, lived, married, and died at the beginning of the 20th century. And in the process, it changed Canadian TV history forever. I'll be back in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, hope you enjoy Canadian History X. Hey everyone, Craig Baird here. Before I begin today's story, I want to take a moment and ask that you check me out on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash Canada EHX. There are several tiers with great benefits, from ad-free content to t-shirts and other cool stuff. And if you're a fan of Canadian History X, make sure you check out my other shows, From John to Justin and Canada, A Yearly Journey. And don't forget, you can also donate directly to the show at www.canadaehx.com. It helps keep this show going. All right, on with the show. I've lived in Alberta for most of my life, except for a few years in British Columbia and Saskatchewan. I'd like to move away from Alberta one day. Now, don't get me wrong, it's a nice province with friendly people, but I'm always looking to find somewhere new. The top three places I want to live are Vancouver Island, in a cabin along a lake somewhere in Ontario, and on Prince Edward Island. Why Prince Edward Island, you ask? Well, in my mind, I have an image of the island as a quaint place where everything is nice and quiet, or it's not out of the ordinary to see a horse-drawn wagon or to walk to your neighbor's place down the road. And I know that's not how life is on the island. PEI is a modern place full of modern conveniences. But the image in my head has been shaped somewhat by a TV show I used to watch when I was a kid. It was set in the early 1900s and followed the adventures of Sarah Stanley, a young girl sent to live with her relatives on the island. I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X, and today we are on the road to Avonlea. For this story, we must journey back to a time before the invention of the television, to a woman named Lucy Maud Montgomery. You may have heard of her. She was a prolific writer born in Clifton, Prince Edward Island on November 30, 1874. As a coping mechanism for the loneliness of her upbringing, she created imaginary worlds and friends which developed her creativity. And by the age of 13, she submitted her first poem for publication. It was rejected. Not to be discouraged, she continued to hone her creative skills and writing abilities. By 1897, her stories started to get published. From 1897 to 1907, she had over 100 stories published. Then in 1908, she published her magnum opus, Anne of Green Gables. The novel recounts the adventures of 11-year-old Anne Shirley, an orphaned girl sent by mistake to two middle-aged siblings in the fictional town of Avonlea in Prince Edward Island. This launched Lucy Maud Montgomery into international fame. To date, that book has sold 50 million copies and is considered a classic children's novel, and its popularity has helped fuel Prince Edward Island tourism for decades. Now, calling Lucy Maud Montgomery a prolific writer would be an understatement. 
Not only did she write Anne of Green Gables, but she also wrote 530 short stories, 500 poems, 20 novels, and 30 essays. And amid all of that writing, in 1911, Lucy published The Story Girl, which followed the adventures of young cousins and their friends on Prince Edward Island. Featured in the book were the King family and a cousin named Sarah Stanley. And surely the famous character from Green Gables only has a minor role in these stories and appeared in two of the twelve. And most of the stories are about the residents of Avonlea and its surrounding towns. One year later, Montgomery released a collection of short stories called Chronicles of Avonlea. Avonlea itself was a fictional place based on Lucy's childhood experiences in the farming communities of Cavendish, Hunter River, and Park Corner, PEI. In her stories, the village of Avonlea is located on a small peninsula where the main industries are farming and lobster fishing. In 1913, Lucy released The Golden Road, which once again focused on the King family and Sarah Stanley. A second short story collection was published seven years later in 1920 called Further Chronicles of Avonlea. These stories further fleshed out the world of Avonlea and once again proved to be a success. So before the concept of a cinematic universe ever existed, Lucy Maud Montgomery was writing a literary universe set on Prince Edward Island. The success of Anne of Green Gables led to film adaptations. As far back as 1919, when Anne Shirley first appeared on the silver screen in the silent film Anne of Green Gables. The film took some liberties away from the source material and moved the setting from Prince Edward Island to New England. And that change infuriated Lucy Maud Montgomery, who wrote in her diary, The landscape and folks were New England, never P.E. Island. A skunk and an American flag were introduced, both equally unknown in P.E. Island. I would have shrieked with rage over the letter. Such crass, blatant Yankeeism. Another film adaptation emerged in 1934, with the title role being played by Dawn O'Day, who legally changed her name to Anne Shirley. Lucy Maud Montgomery liked this adaptation much better, but still felt that Hollywood could not get her book right. Lucy never saw another film adaptation of Anne of Green Gables because she died in 1942, and televisions didn't become popular until the end of the Second World War. And Anne didn't hit the TV screens until 1952, when the BBC television series was released, and it was followed by a TV musical in 1956. An animated Japanese version called Akaji no Anne, meaning red-haired Anne, was released in 1979. Then, in 1984, a man named Kevin Sullivan came along, and things in Avonlea would never be the same. Kevin Sullivan was born in 1955, and he loved making movies. He made his first short film, The Fir Tree, in 1979. That same year, he established the production company Sullivan Films. In 1982, he released his first feature, The Wild Pony, which he co-wrote, co-produced, and directed. Two years later, using the money he made from the venture, he bought the film rights to Anne of Green Gables. Once he secured the rights in 1984, he wrote a screenplay for a four-hour miniseries with Joe Weisenfeld, which aired on December 1st and December 2nd, 1985 on CBC, and it was a massive hit. At the time, it became the highest-rated dramatic production in Canadian television history, and it swept the Gemini Awards, winning 10 awards. It also won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Children's Program. Megan Follows was cast in the titular role alongside Mag Ruffman, Jackie Burroughs, and Cedric Smith, who played relatively minor characters. And they may not have known it at the time, but those parts would lead to more opportunities in a few years, 
but we'll get to that a little later. The massive popularity and success of the miniseries resulted in Anne of Green Gables the sequel, also known as Anne of Avonlea. This story was also highly successful and beat out the original miniseries to become the highest rated drama to ever air on Canadian television to that time. It also won six Gemini Awards. So these two successful miniseries proved that there was an appetite for Lucy Maud Montgomery's stories. So Kevin Sullivan turned his sights away from Anne of Green Gables and towards Sarah Stanley and the King family. For the next few years, Kevin Sullivan wrote a show that, in his words, was set in a place with a strong sense of morality that no longer existed, an anecdote for escapism from the contemporary world which men, women, and children could all enjoy. To craft the series, Kevin loosely based the stories on the novels of The Story Girl and The Golden Road, both of which featured the characters of Sarah Stanley and the King family. An early episode plot points for this show would come from the Chronicles of Avonlea and further Chronicles of Avonlea, Sullivan said. The series is drawn from much different material than Anne of Green Gables. It's kind of like Garrison Kaler's Lake Wobegon days. Montgomery was a precursor to Kaler writing about small-time life in a maritime community. The series he was working on became known as Road to Avonlea. It was co-financed by the CBC and the Disney Channel. In Canada, the series was known as Road to Avonlea, but in the US it would air as only Avonlea. And as you can probably tell by the title, the series was set in the fictional town of Avonlea during the first decade or so of the 20th century, and despite the enormous success of Anne of Green Gables, Anne Shirley never appeared in the show beyond a few mentions of her name by other characters. In this story, Sarah Stanley, a 10-year-old heiress from Montreal, is sent to live with her aunts on Prince Edward Island after her father is arrested on embezzlement charges. Her mother had died prior to the series' first episode. And in many ways, it began as a fish-out-of-water story, as Sarah Stanley must adjust to rural farm life on Prince Edward Island, having grown up in the lap of luxury in Canada's largest city at the time. Stanley, make it clear that we should stay here. We really haven't the room, but you'll be very close by. Hetty and Olivia live in the other farm at the end of the property. Certainly more Stanley in the face than King. Like her not, I won't be staying here very long and I have no intention of letting you tell me what to do. I won't be here long enough to be bothered with going to school. I will say she's a clever little thing. She has Ruth's spirit. She's bold enough. But not forward. Knows how to keep her own counsel. There certainly is a generous helping of the King Prize. Sarah Pauly was cast as Sarah Stanley. She was an up-and-coming young actress who first appeared on film when she was four in the film One Magic Christmas and in the Friday the 13th TV series. In 1988, she had a prominent role in Terry Gilliam's The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Polly was also becoming a household name before she stepped into Sarah Stanley's shoes. Jackie Burroughs was cast as Hetty, Sarah's aunt and the eldest King's sibling. Burroughs had started acting at the Stratford Festival in the 1960s, and various film credits included The Dead Zone and Heavy Metal. One of the most established of the actors in the series at the time of the premiere, she had won a Genie Award for her film A Winter Tan in 1987. Mag Ruffman was cast as Olivia, the youngest King's sibling. At the time, Mag had appeared in only small roles in films and on television, apart from her time in the Green Gables movies. Alec King, the middle king's sibling, was played by Cedric Smith. 
Originally a folk singer in the 1970s, he began acting but had minimal roles outside of the Green Gables movies. Alec's wife, Janet, was played by Lally Cadu, who had been acting since she was 10 in plays. She'd appeared in David Cronenberg's Videodrome in 1983 and had various roles in television including The King of Kensington and Street Legal. And rounding out the rest of the cast of children who played Sarah's cousins were Gemma Zambrogna as Felicity King, Zachary Bennett as Felix King, and Harmony Cramp as Cecily King. Tara Meyer was originally given the role of Felicity King, but she wasn't able to take it due to a scheduling conflict. Meyer went on to play Sally Potts, Sarah's classmate and sometimes rival in 13 episodes of the series. And while the series was set on Prince Edward Island, the show was primarily shot near Uxbridge, Ontario, which was the same location that the Anne of Green Gables miniseries used. And although some filming did take place on Prince Edward Island, Uxbridge was also where Lucy Maud Montgomery lived and worked for a decade after moving from the island. And if you're familiar with the series, you might remember the dirt roads in the show were red. That's because PEI's soil is rich in iron, so to match, the show painted the roads in Uxbridge red for the show. Show creator Kevin Sullivan said, We just decided that if we're going to go totally authentic, why go through all the trouble of creating all these authentic buildings if you couldn't make the rest of the landscape look as real? So we decided it would spray paint the roads. That authenticity came at a price, to the tune of $15 million for the first 13-episode season, making it one of the most expensive shows on Canadian TV. The show debuted on January 7, 1990 on CBC and it quickly became apparent that the country still was enamored with the works of Lucy Maud Montgomery. A record 2.5 million viewers tuned in to watch the first episode, which made it the most watched series premiere in Canadian history at the time. And it wasn't just popular, it was critically acclaimed. Mike Boone of the Montreal Gazette wrote, Bright sunshine, rolling verdant hills, buckboards bouncing gently along country roads, who could ask for a more eye-pleasing and cozy pastoral setting? Road Devon Lee takes us back to the simple down-home comfort of Anland, a great place to be. In the second episode, Jasper Dale was introduced. For the role of the inventor and photographer with a stutter who kept to himself, producers tapped Robert Holmes Thompson. It became the most famous role for Thompson, who was already an established actor in Canada. He'd been acting since the 1970s and had been nominated for six Gemini Awards, winning twice and received two Genie Award nominations. Thompson would help make Jasper a prominent character throughout the show's run and a fan favorite. And Rote Avonlea was a hit and everything was going well during the first season, until a sudden decision by CBC caught everyone off guard. At the time, the show averaged 1.8 million viewers each week, even outperforming Hockey Night in Canada at times. But citing a tight budget, CBC held back the last four episodes of the show and ended the first season on March 5th. Creator Kevin Sullivan said, Nobody was more surprised than we were. And as viewers quickly mobilized to save the show that they had come to love, Sullivan said, The response was so strong from the audience that I think CBC was taken aback. CBC quickly walked back its decision and aired what it called the lost episodes two months later in May 1990. 
This came on the heels of more good news for fans of the show because just before they aired those episodes, the show was renewed for a second season. And for good reason, the show was a ratings hit and darling with the critics. At the Gemini Awards on December 4, 1990, the show was nominated for 10 awards, including Best Dramatic Series. And while it lost that award to ENG, it did win four Geminis, including a Best Performance by an Actress for Jackie Burroughs, a category which also saw Sarah Pauly nominated. And as the show prepared to debut its second season in December of 1990, some small changes were made. Kevin Sullivan said the new season would be more than, quote, kids in pretty dresses running through fields to school. The second season saw the King family with a new member, Baby Daniel, who was played by Alex and Ryan Floyd. Producers also introduced Gus Pike, a young sailor played by Michael Mulholland, whose prominence in the show would grow over the coming seasons. And in preparation for the season premiere, Kevin Sullivan said, In the show this year, you'll see things like kids having to go to work and lots of adventures. The shows this year are a lot more textured. The Kings have a baby and Janet is forced to help deliver it. In the season opener, Sarah is kidnapped by circus barkers. There's more life and death issues and a lot more humor. In a joint effort by CBC and Disney to further improve popularity, international guest stars were expected to stop by, wrote Avonlea. This included Michael York, the highly respected British actor who had appeared in films such as Logan's Run and Cabaret. If you're a kid of the 90s, you might also remember him from his turn as Basil Exposition, a reoccurring part in the Austin Powers film series. Character actor Peter Coyote also stopped by wrote Avonlea to play Romney Penhallow. You might know him as the mysterious scientist Keys in E.T. the Extraterrestrial. His efforts also earned him an Emmy nomination. Season 2 premiered on December 2, 1990, and it proved to be another hit. At the year's Gemini Awards, the show picked up eight Gemini nominations, including Best Dramatic Series again. Three of the five Best Writing in a Dramatic Series nominations were for Road to Avonlea, but it didn't win. Jackie Burroughs picked up another Gemini for her portrayal of Aunt Hetty, and the show also earned an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Children's Program, but it did not win. Then, almost as soon as the second season finished on February 24, 1991, CBC renewed it for a third season. Bob Blakey of the Calgary Herald wrote, On the surface, Avonlea's stories are too nice for their own good, but even cynics are charmed by their honest and high quality. The acting is first-rate, production value second to none, and the writing is strong and consistent. The third season debuted on January 12, 1992, but one person was noticeably absent. Colleen Dewhurst died on August 22, 1991. She had played Marilla Cuthbert, one of the main characters in Anne of Green Gables. Dewhurst had long known series creator Kevin Sullivan, having appeared in his adaptations of Anne of Green Gables. She'd also won two Tonys and four Emmys during her career. Kevin Sullivan was unaware that she was terminally ill when the show went on hiatus. As a result, her death came as a shock. To give the character a proper send-off, actress Patricia Hamilton stepped in as Dewhurst's body double. Scenes from Anne of Green Gables, Rode Avonlea, as well as her death scene in the film Lantern Hill were used to portray her death and funeral in Season 3. And during this season, Christopher Reeve, Ned Beatty, and Shirley Douglas all appeared as guest stars for one episode each. The biggest guest star was, though without a doubt, Christopher Lloyd, who portrayed out-of-work actor and part-time con artist Alistair Dimple. 
Christopher Lloyd has had an incredibly long career and you might know him as Dr. Emmett Doc Brown in the Back to the Future trilogy or as Uncle Fester in The Addams Family. And for his role in Avonlea, he won an Emmy Award for Outstanding Guest Actor in a Dramatic Series. To understand history, you must understand the people who lived it. Think of each king or queen as if they were here in this room talking to us. All right, pretends, out of your tents and ready yourselves. Also earning an Emmy Award nomination for her work during the third season was Kate Nelligan, who portrayed Sidney Carver in one episode. In Canada, Roe Tavonlee once again picked up numerous Gemini Awards in 1992, earning an astounding 13 nominations, more than any other show that year. But it once again lost to ENG for the third year in a row for Best Dramatic Series, but it won one for Best Direction, and Cedric Smith won a Gemini for his role as Alec King. By this point, a renewal was a foregone conclusion as Roe Tavonlee became the centerpiece of the so-called Family Hour on CBC on Sundays. The show was so popular that CBC received angry phone calls from viewers whenever the show was moved in the schedule to make room for sports programming. For that reason, the show typically ran from January to the end of March or beginning of April, ensuring the season would be over by the time the NHL playoffs began, avoiding Sunday night conflicts with games. And as the fourth season debuted on January 17, 1993, there were some who felt that the show was losing its edge. The first episode featured the arrival of Jasper Dale's family to Avonlea, which were described as eccentric and a sharp contrast to the King family. Wayne Roberts, a critic with the Saskatoon Star Phoenix, stated, Avonlea has been a successful sequel to Anne of Green Gables, but if this opening episode is any indication, the show is doomed to lose audience share. Roberts continued, These people are weird. CBC in its press release calls them eccentric, but that is too kind in my opinion. The fourth season also didn't feature the high-caliber guest stars that previous seasons had, but talented actors like Michael Hogan and Diana Rigg did make an appearance, but none of them had that name recognition of Christopher Reeve or Christopher Lloyd. And as the Gemini Awards arrived, the show garnered only five Gemini nominations, its lowest total ever, and for the first time, it was shut out of Best Dramatic Series. However, Jackie Burroughs won her third Gemini for her role as Hetty King, and it was the only Gemini win for the show that year. And while the show didn't have much success in Canada that year, it won one of its biggest awards ever when it took home the Children's Program Emmy in 1993. In preparation for Season 5, there was an effort to return the series to Lucy Maud Montgomery's roots. Creator Kevin Sullivan said, We are balancing the lightness with more emotion, we have been stagnated. This season we're at a crossroads. A show like this can stagnate or get better. Season 5 debuted in January 1994 and Roe Lee remained a popular and steady fixture of the Family Hour on CBC. The season also included guest stars such as Bruce Greenwood, Stockard Channing and Gordon Pinsent. And at the Geminis, it was a return to form for the show as it was once again nominated for Best Dramatic Series but lost this time to Due South. It received 12 nominations in all that year, with Lely Cadu winning her first Gemini for her role as Janet King. However, Season 5 saw two major changes for the show. First, Harmony Cramp was replaced by Molly Atkinson for the role of Cecily King. This change happened after the character was sent to a sanatorium for tuberculosis treatment. 
But the biggest change, by far, was Sarah Polly's exit from the show. Overall, the experience of playing Sarah Stanley was not a pleasant one for Polly, who had to endure fame at a young age. There was also her mother's death. Creator Kevin Sullivan said, Sarah has been living and dealing with her mum's illness for a long while, and Sarah is a pro. Going back to work the week after her mother died helped take her mind off things. In her book, Run Towards the Danger, Polly states that after her mother died of cancer, she was expected to be back at work a week later to accommodate production of the show. In response to what Sullivan said, she wrote, quote, It sounded from his version of events almost as though I was given a choice. I wasn't. Also in her book, Polly alleges that a crew member in his 40s or 50s stalked her for two years, starting when she was 12. He would follow her van home and stare at her. And just before Christmas one year, he showed up at her house in the country where she was alone to give her gifts. Polly nearly left the show two years earlier when producers did not renew her contract in time to meet an agreed-upon deadline. She stated that she was elated beyond measure, but when her father and her agent tried to invoke the pay-or-play clause in her contract, ensuring she would be paid regardless of appearance if the show continued, the producers picked up her contract for two more years. Polly wrote in her book that she cried all the way home. And by the time she was 15, producers knew that she wanted off the show, and they wrote her out. This resulted in Polly appearing in only 5 of 13 episodes, with her final spin as a series regular during the season finale. She returned for a guest appearance in season 6 and in the series finale a few years later. However, the show continued to be a success without Polly. By the time season 6 debuted on January 15, 1995, Roe Lee had been syndicated to more than 100 countries. And as actors aged, there was an effort to make the storylines more mature. The first episode of the season dealt with Felicity King facing sexual discrimination while trying to attend medical school in Halifax. And the series continued the tradition of famous guest stars such as Faye Dunaway, and the season ran until April 2, 1995, as ratings remained solid, with the show averaging 1.1 million viewers each week. At the Geminis, the show also picked up nine nominations, including for Best Dramatic Series, which, as you probably guessed by now, it did not win. There are also three acting nominations for Patricia Hamilton, Marilyn Lightstone, and Meg Ruffman in the Supporting Actress category, with Hamilton taking home the trophy. But everyone knew that the end was near for CBC's powerhouse show. There was no expectations Rodavin Lee would continue past its seventh season, and before it even premiered, Kevin Sullivan announced it would end and he'd be moving on to a new series called Wind at My Back. He said, Rodavin Lee has had incredible inertia but it has reached its zenith. The fact that the show was only nine months away from the First World War in its timeline also played into the decision. Sullivan wanted to leave Avonlea in an idyllic setting without the casualties of war. Mike Boone of the Ottawa Citizen wrote, Historians have told us what Vimy Ridge meant to Canada. We will never know what such a bloody battle would have done to Avonlea. During the last season, guest stars included Eugene Levy and a young man who played an English orphan in one episode. That young man wasn't famous at the time, but he sure is famous now. Because before he was the owner of his own Mojo Dojo Casa House, Ken, aka Ryan Gosling, spent some time in Avonlea. What are you gawking at? I, I was just wondering how you cut your back like that. It's nothing. I got asked but once or twice when I first came out. 
Why? Oh, was it quick enough to omit yours? Some such rot. Don't go running and tell them what you see. Because I'll box your ears. Don't need them ladies fussing over it. So why you ran away from the farm you're on? Because of what they did to you? Not me. I could take my lumps if I have to. By the time the last episode of the show aired on March 31st, 1996, it was in syndication to 140 countries around the world. At the 1997 Gemini Awards, Devin Lee picked up 11 nominations, but once again did not win Best Dramatic Series. Frances Bay won for Guest Role in a Dramatic Series, while Kay Tremblay won for Best Supporting Actress. Over the course of the show's run, it picked up four Emmy Awards out of 16 nominations and won 18 Gemini Awards, but never took home the Best Dramatic Series Award, despite being nominated every single year but one during its run. The show had the misfortune to run at the same time as ENG and Due South, two shows that won every Best Dramatic Series Gemini from 1990 to 1997. Even though the show left the airwaves in 1996, it did return once more for a television movie called An Avonlea Christmas. With the backdrop of the First World War, the movie follows the King family as they prepare for Christmas Eve. Now we're almost at the end of our story, but I can't move on until we find out what happened to the actors after the show ended. Jackie Burroughs, known as Aunt Hetty, went on to appear in films such as Willard, Fever Pitch, and The Sentinel, as well as TV shows such as Due South, Smallville, Made in Canada, and Dead Like Me. She passed away from stomach cancer at the age of 71 on September 22, 2010. Cedric Smith, who played Alec King, transitioned into voice acting while doing live action, and from what I saw in my research, his most recent acting role was in two episodes of the show Mysticons in 2018. Gemma Zambrogna, who played Felicity King, went to Queen's University after the show and helped establish Toronto's theatre front drama group. She began teaching Pilates in the early 2000s and moved to Grimsey, Ontario, where she became involved in the local arts scene. Zachary Bennett, who played Felix King, has appeared in dozens of television shows over the past 25 years, as well as several feature films, and he's most well known for the 2016 film Maudie, and more recently 2019's The Umbrella Academy. R.H. Thompson, who played Jasper Dale, went on to appear in several CBC Radio and CBC Television productions. In 2010, he was awarded the Order of Canada, and in 2015, he received the Governor General's Performing Arts Award for Lifetime Artistic Achievement. However, you may not have known that in 2008, Thompson co-created the 1914-1918 Vigil, a project that saw the names of more than 68,000 Canadians who died during the First World War projected onto memorials and buildings across Canada. In search for more information on family members who died on the battlefields, he helmed an interactive documentary called Spurred, on which commemorated the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Passchendaele. Meg Ruffman, who played Olivia Kingdale, went on to appear in shows such as Murdoch Mysteries and Elias Grace. Elias Grace is an adaptation of the historical fiction novel by Canadian writer Margaret Atwood, which fictionalizes the notorious 1843 murders of Thomas Kinnear and his housekeeper Nancy Montgomery in Canada West. The adaptation for Netflix was written and produced by her Avonlea co-star, Sarah Pauly. As for Sarah Pauly, she starred in many feature films including The Weight of Water, The Sweet Hereafter, and The Dawn of the Dead. In 2006, she directed the critically acclaimed film Away From Her, which earned her an Academy Award nomination for Best Adapted Screenplay. In the 2010s, she moved away from acting and further into writing and directing. In 2022, she wrote and directed Women Talking, 
which earned her the Academy Award for Best Adapted Screenplay, and she is the first Canadian to win that award. Now that's almost the end of our story, but as widely praised and beloved as Road to Avonlea was, there are some things that have not aged well. During the run of Road to Avonlea, another show debuted called North of 60, which I covered in January, so if you haven't checked out that episode, I recommend you do. North of 60 was groundbreaking and that featured an indigenous cast that dealt with indigenous issues, something that Road to Avonlea did not. The idyllic Avonlea glossed over and ignored the indigenous people of PEI, in fact it didn't really include any diversity at all. On Prince Edward Island, 2% of the population is indigenous, the majority being Mi'kmaq First Nations who have occupied the island for upwards of 10,000 years. Yet, you would have been hard pressed to find an indigenous character walking the streets in Avonlea. Now this is in sharp contrast with Anne with an E. The show was also based on Lucy Maud Montgomery's novels, but it explored First Nations history in Prince Edward Island and highlighted the discrimination Canadians of colour faced in the 19th century. The show premiered in 2017 and even addressed residential schools. The omissions of these stories and the general whitewashing of Canadian history was addressed in an opinion piece in the Edmonton Journal in 1993, which referred to it as the Road to Avonlea view of Canadian history. And in her book, Run Towards the Danger, Sarah Pauly added, Montgomery's books are of a fictional, glorified, all-white past and millions lovingly embrace the history she put forth of the island, accepting its erasure of the people who gave it the name that she herself liked to call it, Abigway, a European mispronunciation of the Mi'kmaq word Epiquit, which means land cradled on the waters. PEI is Mi'kmaq land. I hope you enjoyed that episode and our look at Road to Avonlea. Next week, we're looking at the Laurier Palace Theatre Fire. Information from CBC, IMDb, AnnaGreenGables.com, Wikipedia, The Montreal Gazette, Edmonton Journal, Red Deer Advocate, Calgary Herald, and Run Towards the Danger. This show is researched, produced, and written by me, Craig Baird, with the help of Dila Velasquez. Audio production and design by Rosalind Kufor. If this is your first time listening and you like what you heard, please take a moment and give us a five-star review to help other people find these amazing stories. And there are so many for you to sink your teeth into. If you enjoy this podcast, then please check out my other podcasts, From John to Justin, Canada, A Yearly Journey, Pucks and Cups, and Canada's Great War. We love hearing from you, so if you have a show topic you want me to cover, email me at craig at canadaehx.com, or stop by my website and social media. I'll include all of those in my show notes. Until next time, I'm Craig Baird, and this is Canadian History X.